Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Monday program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm grateful. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630 Five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as I always remind you, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call, call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a couple of Programming notes, scheduling notes. We do not have any of our Monday night Bible studies uh, tonight or next Monday. Monday uh, next week is a holiday. Uh, tonight we're in that break uh, with school starts. Today was the first day of school for us, and the kids were back, and it's noisy again. It just is wonderful out there. But uh, our Monday night Bible studies will pick up again, uh, I think, September 11th, Paula told me, is the day. So uh, men, women, and youth, until then, uh, just enjoy the time off. Had a great day at church yesterday. I hope and pray that you did as well. People get saved. Everyone that gets saved is one person closer to Jesus coming back for us. So um, hope you had a really, really good day at church yesterday. Let me get to some questions that have been sent in, some hard ones today, um, while we... Um, Await your thing. The first is from Reuben from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor on Psalm 116, verse 15. Can you tell me what that verse means in context? Is it more like dying to self and serving the Lord is what is precious in his sight or no? Reuben, I think you're a little bit on the wrong track here. Um, obviously, the verse says uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And you have to look at it in the context of the whole um, uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, the psalmist is celebrating deliverance from death. 
Um, but he also knew that death is a reality for every one of God's people. And when that day comes, God holds the death of his people as a precious thing. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is that God is particularly close to his people when they stand at death's door. Now, I've had the opportunity to be with a whole bunch of people who are getting ready to go be with Jesus, and um, uh, and actually within moments. And uh, and the Lord is so gracious. He is so kind, and he's so gentle. Uh, one of the things I do when I go into a hospital room or a home where somebody's really that close, the Lord always lets me know that, that the time is very, very near. And... Um, the people get to ask questions if they're if they're able to. Um, they want to hear what's going to happen to them uh, when they go into the presence of the Lord. I, I I like to be very direct with them and tell them, well, this is exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you know, a lot of times family members, uh, especially if they're in the room, they don't want to hear about that. No, no, we're we're hoping that he or she holds on and and we're holding a hope that God will heal. Um, uh, you know, the people who are actually in the process of dying, they really do want to know. And I've seen God be so gracious to some people, so kind to some of those people. Uh, and, um, you know, um, he does what is best for them and for him. So um, the death of his saints are particularly precious. Death is a an enemy. Uh, and yet, uh, when one of his own dies, his arms are open wide, and heaven is open, and they walk into his presence. I always like to read Revelation chapter uh, one, uh, with the description of Jesus with his son shining like the, or his face. I'm sorry, shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. His voice like the sound of rushing waters. Uh, I really love for that to be able to. Um, comfort them, and it always does. So that's what he's saying. Look, death is an enemy, and a lot of this psalm is about deliverance from death, but when the time comes, when these bodies are going to give out, the presence of the Lord is going to be there. So I hope that answers your question, um, Reuben. Thank you very, very much. Here is our next question. This one is from Anonymous from our mobile app. I'm a single woman in my mid-twenties. Are there ministries that I can be a part of at church and serve? I can't sing, join the crowd. I can't sing, but I love to worship, and I'm good with numbers. Now, see, there's a young woman. Now, I don't know if this is somebody in our church or just somebody just asking about church. Um, uh, one of the things, and I mentioned this in our message yesterday, we're, we're created to serve the body of Christ. You know, coming to church is not serving the Lord. Serving other people when you get here, that's serving the Lord. And Anonymous, I'm thrilled that that as a young woman in particular, uh, you understand the call of God to minister. Now, the one thing I would say, at least at the beginning, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just assume that you're, you're talking about our particular church, but this principle would apply to everybody. The first thing I would do is I would find some place to serve that doesn't necessarily use my natural abilities. Uh, if you're good with numbers, you know, it'd be great to say, well, let's put you in a bookstore. Let's put you uh, in accounting or let's do something like that. Um, um, and by the way, we do have counting ministries here for the offerings. So there's all kinds of places that you could serve. 
But especially when you're new, there's some really effective places where you can serve and meet other people and let them get to meet you. Uh, in particular, the usher ministry at our church, Pastor Matt is, is uh, heads up the usher ministry, and there's a lot of work that, that they're, they're able to do. But, but basically, they're the face of our church when people come in. And in our particular church, because we have so many new people coming in, it's really, really great to have really friendly people who are committed to serving uh, at the doors and inside the foyer, giving people direction to the children's ministries and those kind of things. Greeters, usher ministry, uh, it sort of forces you to engage with other people. And uh, again, you didn't say that you were shy at all, but, but this is a especially effective for people that are a little bit shy because it forces you to step outside of your comfort zone. And when you step outside of your comfort zone, well, that's when we have a tendency to lean on or depend on the Holy Spirit. And it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity uh, just to sort of get familiar with the people in the church and let them get to know you. Um, but that's not the only thing. Uh, as, a, as a mid-20s young woman uh, serving in the uh, youth or high school ministries or in the children's ministries is a great place to use the gifts that God has given you. Um, there are, are uh, uh, ministries that we use, uh, Martha's Kitchen, which is a ministry that, that provides food for people uh, who are in the hospitals or, or at home at at home and sick, uh, and, and, you know, they just can't take care of themselves. We have actually ministries here where we'll send people in to clean houses for people in difficult situations. What we want to do is take care of the body of Christ. And you can be used to do any one of those things. Yesterday, uh, our announcer talked about cleaning ministries. And people, you know, well, I'm not much at cleaning ministry. Well, what a wonderful place to really get engaged uh, we have a, a cleaning ministry here at uh, on Saturday mornings. Now it's not just Saturday. We have people here cleaning all the time. But but on Saturday, we have a group of people. It's been a large group that's come in uh, every Saturday for a lot of years, and they have become so close. It's like a ministry group unto themselves, and they have a blast while they're here on Saturday mornings. So there's plenty of opportunities. So uh, here's what I would suggest you do. And again, if this is Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, come and ask for Pastor Matt or Pastor Ken. Uh, see any of the pastor's wives. Uh, there are so many places to get involved. And it's when you can really, boy, the sky is just opened up. If you hear the noise in the background, it's uh, heavy rain right this second. But uh, uh, there are plenty of opportunities to serve. And let me just say again to you and to everybody listening, if you're not serving in your church, you're not pleasing the Lord. It's that simple. This isn't a, a guilt trip. Uh, this isn't a church that's trying to find people to do things. When you depend on the Lord, when you use the gifts that he's given you, when you're ministering to others instead of worrying about being ministered to, that's when the Lord really and truly begins to change your life. When you're spending yourself for others and you're doing it in the name of and for the pleasure and glory of Jesus Christ, believe me, that's when it happens. So um, ask around. Uh, it's It's simple. Um, whatever church you go to, um, being a part of that body, an integral part of that body, is more valuable than, than I can possibly communicate. 
Great, great, great question. Thank you very, very much. You know, one other thing, we've got a group of people, our Friday night services are usually done. We're out of here by uh, 8.30. Um, and and we have a large group of people that go out together every Friday night. It's a great opportunity to get to meet uh, new people, uh, just hang out for an hour or two, and and uh, they go out to a restaurant somewhere close and local. Uh, and it's not a wild and crazy group or anything, but it's just it's just a bunch of people that enjoy the fellowship of the Lord. And you'll find people that minister there. Uh, the couple that kind of heads that up, and when I say headed up, they're just the ones who thought of it and and, and say, well, we're going to go over here, and more and more people show up. Uh, you know, there's a Calvary Crafters ministry. If you're a artsy, crafty kind of person, there's just a lot of stuff that's going on. So thank you for asking, and whether it's our church or somebody else's church, we need to be men and women who serve our body, period. Thank you for that question. Here's a tough one, anonymous from our email inbox. Uh, A young pastor at our church committed suicide after struggling with depression. How can we deal with depression if a pastor cannot? Now, anonymous, I want to be really slow with this, and I want to be tender. I'm so sorry for your loss. These things can be uh, crippling. Um, the enemy is going to try to do everything he can to scare everybody in a situation like this. Uh, unfortunately, um, even Christians um, lose the battle with depression. Um, th- they need not lose the battle, but at times they do. Um, suicide, of course, is a terrible, terrible sin. It does not disqualify somebody from going to heaven, but it's a terrible, terrible sin. And uh, the people that are left behind, like you, are the ones who really get hurt. Now, here's one of the difficulties that I want you to wrestle with. Uh, pastors are not special people. I'm just a regular person. And, and uh, you know, uh, for me to avoid depression, I, I deal with so much pain and so much heartache um, you know, obviously, I get to deal with with great joy as well, and I have, uh, you know, people that are that just thrill me because they're they're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and of His will for their lives, and they're thriving in their walk. But I'm the guy, and this pastor, young pastor, we're the people that deal with the the families whose uh, children uh, decide to live a deviant lifestyle, whether it's homosexuality or a transgender lifestyle. Um, um, We're the ones who deal with that kind of pain all the time. We're the ones that deal with uh, people who suddenly die, and we have to deal with the grief. So there is a lot of sadness and the only way, and it doesn't matter whether it's me as a pastor or you as 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 a Christian, uh, the only way to deal with these issues, with the sadness and the heartache uh, and, and depression, uh, is to be in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that in His presence is the fullness of joy. Uh, the people that, that get lost in depression are people that are are uh, finding it difficult to to get in the presence of the Lord. Now, one of the problems with depression in particular is when you are suffering from depression, uh, I believe it's one of the enemy's most powerful tools. When you're suffering from depression, you don't feel like doing anything. And the devil loves a stationary target. Um, That's why you got to fight. 
So um, there's nothing you can do for the pastor. But if you struggle with depression as well, then that's when you got to fight. And when you feel the least like fighting, well, that's when you know that the stakes are the highest. But please don't be discouraged. Be be sad and grieve for the loss. But 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 don't be discouraged. Well, if they couldn't, you couldn't. Now, I want to say something else. I truly understand where you're coming from here. Uh, as a very young Christian, I knew I was called to be a pastor at about six months uh, in, in old in the Lord. Um, uh, about a year after I was saved, and I was really studying the Bible, uh, I picked up a newspaper. This is in uh, in Southern California. Uh, we hadn't come to San Antonio yet, and there was a headline in the in the local section of the Orange County Register. Uh, and it was about a pastor that I listened to on the radio every day. Really well-known guy, had a big thriving church, um, wonderful, wonderful Bible teacher. And the headline was, local pastor ousted from church after sexual immorality. And I looked and saw who it was, and I was crushed. And, I, and, and I'm going to copy your question because I cried out to the Lord and to Paula, by the way. I said, I'm called to be a pastor. If he couldn't stand firm, if he couldn't keep from sin, how am I going to do it? And the Lord spoke to my heart then the same thing I'm trying to communicate to you. Jesus said, you stay close to me. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, if we need strength, then we have to be in his presence because in his presence is the fullness of joy. I hope that connection hits you. But, but again, pastors are not special people. I do believe we have a special calling. But we struggle with things just like everybody else. And if we're not really fighting the spiritual battles, if we're not fighting every day to get into the presence of the Lord, then we're going to be prone to the same devil, the same lies, and the same outcomes that everybody else deals with. It is true the pastor should know how to deal with this. He should know how to fight. However, our flesh is weak. And so the answer is to walk in the power of God's Spirit. And I promise you, when this young man stood before the Lord, he understood for the very first time the gravity of his sin. So here's how you deal with depression. You stay as close to Jesus as you can. Be in the Word, not just a casual, every now and again reader of the Word, but be in the Word. Read it systematically. Get close to the Lord. Learn more about who He is. And when you're feeling down or when you're discouraged or even if you are depressed, instead of trying to to, to deal with it on your own, lean on the one that you're learning about. So the pastor's failure can be something God uses in your life to strengthen you against failure. Now, generally, to everybody out there, let me say something about suicide. When I get questions about suicide, and this is a different question, but but people want to know, am I going to go to heaven if I commit suicide? Um, a Christian simply cannot commit suicide. Your body's not your own. It belongs to the Lord. It's been bought and paid for. Um, 
And yet we still have to deal with the reality that sometimes the enemy wins the battles. Just make sure that the enemy doesn't win the battle you're in. And when you're dealing with depression, don't focus on the reasons you're depressed. Instead, focus on the one who can lead you through the depression out of it in victory. And the way you do that is just hang close to Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Anything else the enemy is going to use to pound you. To pound you. Sorry for the loss. I'm sorry to hear that very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question uh, from Dennis. He says, uh, what is the age of the earth or the universe? Dennis, nobody knows for sure. Uh, uh, I'm a, um, uh, and I think this is critical, um, doctrinally. I'm a young earther. By that, I mean I believe the earth is between seven and 10,000 years old. That would mean the universe is also between seven and 10,000 years old. Uh, but we can't be specific because we're not told the details. We don't have a defined timeline. Uh, but but generally speaking, between seven and 10,000 years, and the reason that's important uh, is is because it, it requires a literal reading of the book of Genesis. Um, you know, science, when I was young, the earth was uh, hundreds of thousands of years old in the universe. Likewise, um, now it's millions or even billions of years old. It just keeps getting more and more spectacular in terms of, of, of the age. They want to grab people's attention. But the reality is, you know your Bibles then a young earth is critical to being fruitful in your walk with the Lord. Um, A literal six-day creation, a literal interpretation of the book of Genesis. These things are important if we're going to understand exactly what it is that God has done for us. So, Dennis, there's a lot of information out there. You can go to Ken Ham's website. Uh, He is the, uh, the, uh, the, the one who is responsible for the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. You can go to uh, uh, ICR, the Institution of Creation uh, Research. Um, uh, That's um, um, plenty of stuff available online about that. We don't have to be embarrassed about believing in a young earth. Uh, We don't have to be bullied by so-called science because the science keeps changing their mind. We simply have to make a decision. Do we believe what the Bible says or don't we? And if we don't, then there's no fruit coming from our lives. If we do, um, then then the Holy Spirit will kind of put it all together for you. So... um, Dennis, that's my answer, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Patrick wants to know in Acts 19, why were there saved people who did not receive the Holy Spirit? Patrick, if you read Acts 19 very quickly, it doesn't say they were saved at all. It says they were disciples. Now, we automatically make the connection that disciples equals Christians, but they were disciples of John the Baptist. 
they had part of the story, sort of like Apollos, uh, when he was preaching uh, the baptism of John. Uh, uh, he wasn't saved because he hadn't heard the rest of the story. And in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, Paul came across some disciples. I mean, they were followers of another teacher. And in this case, it would have been John the Baptist, though John had long been dead. There was still a bunch of adherents to to John's preaching. John was uh, a rock star in the ancient world. Um, And when Paul didn't see any evidence of the Holy Spirit, when he heard that their message was incomplete, um, he told them the rest of the story. And then they got saved, and that's when the Spirit of God came upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues and prophesy. So, uh, Patrick, it wasn't that they were already Christians, but they were really, really close. Now, one of the things to remember about this is that the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. And these people were diligent seekers, sort of like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He was seeking the Lord, so God sent Peter to him. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, in Acts 19, that was exactly the case. And again, I mentioned Apollos. It was um, Priscilla and Aquila that heard him preaching. They could tell something was missing, and uh, they gave him the rest of the story, and he got saved, born again, and became a powerful tool in the early church, a a man that God used mightily, um, just a truly gifted preacher, and, um, and God used him wonderfully. So, Patrick, that's uh, what was going on in Acts 19, but they weren't saved yet, um, but they were just about to be saved. They were disciples of another teacher, someone who clearly was a follower of John's baptism. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our Monday show, 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left in the show. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585. Gary asks... Pastor Ron, can a person be an active homosexual and a Christian? Gary, the answer is no. Now, they can claim to be a Christian. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, makes it really clear that people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, one of the things, Gary, when we come to Jesus Christ, he says to follow him. And, of course, this is not any kind of behavior that that we could follow Jesus and find ourselves engaged in. Now, I realize this is a huge cultural issue. Um, uh, Unfortunately, um, I hate to be the people responsible for these churches, but there are a lot of professing Christian churches that, that 
encourage people who are who are lost in this lifestyle. Um, you're okay. God loves you. They affirm their behavior. Um, and um, uh, it's easy to go find somebody who says, yeah, you can be a Christian. And yes, we welcome you and we, we accept you just the way you are. God loves you that way. Uh, he loves everybody. That's true. But he doesn't accept anybody except on his terms. You know, when I became a Christian, Gary, I had to change the sin I was guilty of. And believe me, the sins I was guilty of were way worse than somebody living a homosexual lifestyle. And yet, God forgave me. And I understood instantly, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit really comes in. When somebody's really saved, I realized instantly that my life had to change. He rescued me from all of those sins. How dare I consider walking back into those sins? And the man or the woman that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but continues in a lifestyle of willful sin, uh, that man or woman has not really met Jesus at all. So Gary, as unpopular a position as that is, it's unpopular everywhere but heaven, as unpopular as that position is, that's the message that we who are believers, that's the message we have to declare. We have to love people enough to tell them the truth and risk being called names and risk being uh, misjudged. Uh, But the, the reality is, when you meet Jesus, you change. And the things that he saved you from, we don't run back into. That's really important, Gary, because not what we say, but what we do identifies us as genuinely in Christ or not. It's pretty straightforward. The Bible is clear. And people that would suggest otherwise really don't care what the Bible says, Gary. Here is a question from India. India says, why does the fullness, I'm sorry, what does the fullness of the Gentiles actually mean? India, I'm going to read the passage. It's from Romans 11, 25. Uh, And Paul is revealing something. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Now, whenever you see a mystery being revealed, in the New Testament, uh, in this case by the Apostle Paul, um, it's something new. It's something that that maybe has been hinted at or there have been pictures of, but but this is new teaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Romans 11 is about Gentiles versus Israel. And then he says this, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles comes in. What that means, India, is that God now is dealing not with the nation of Israel. God is dealing with individual people. It also means that there is a a, a limited number, a finite number of non-Jews who are going to believe before God is done with us. This, this I call the the age or dispensation of grace. Um, and then, then when, when that's over, the rapture of the church is going to happen. And then God is going to turn his attention back to Israel. And he's going to go and get the remnant out of Israel um, because God's made these great and wonderful promises uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to David. 
and by the way, India, to you and to me. And God has to keep his promises. So there is a limited number of Gentiles. Uh, when I am giving invitations, I will often say, you know, maybe the last person to get saved before Jesus comes for his church is here. Uh, hasn't happened yet, but certainly we're getting closer. And um, um, there's a finite number. And I, I just, in my own mind, I picture uh, a countdown in heaven going on, and all the angels staring and just waiting. How many more? How many more? And there is a literal countdown because there's a, a finite number of people. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, Israel, God's chosen people, um, in this dispensation of grace, their hearts have grown hard. First Corinthians, Paul writes about a veil covering their hearts. Well, um, once again, after the church is gone, God is going to pour out his spirit of grace upon Israel. And um, literally the numbers are given to us in Zechariah. Um, Two-thirds of the Jews are going to, their hearts are going to still be hard. uh, But one-third of the the Jews who live at that time uh, are going to see Jesus as their crucified Messiah, repent and be saved. And that's going to happen at the end of the Great Tribulation. So, uh, India, that's what it means. The fullness of Gentiles means there is a number, and it's counting down. And pretty soon, um, we're going to be out of here. The church will be raptured. Teresa says, oops, I got got a phone call, sorry, for... Didn't see the pop up. I've got Ruben from Seguin on line one. Long time no here. Ruben, are you there? Yes, sir. How you been? I, I'm good. How about you? Well, um, I'm hanging in there. I'm calling just for two reasons. Uh, one for prayer, and my uh, my father uh, passed away last night, and I oh. found him this morning. I found him this morning, and it's been a very hard day for me, but still just keeping my head up and keep moving on. Um, So I'm just asking for everyone's prayer for my family and for me, especially since I took care of him for 21 years. Um, And then um, also I wanted to see if you can explain that verse in the Bible that that says, deep calls to deep. I don't really, I've been going over that for I don't know why all day today and I just can't understand it. Uh, And I'll get off the line and and, and I'll listen. Okay, Ruben. God bless you. We're sorry for your loss. We've been praying for your father for a very, very long time. Um, I'm just sorry. I I wish there was more that I could say. Uh, Ruben, the deep calls to deep is just uh, the circumstance that we find are so deep, deep pain, deep issues um, requires a deep solution. And so when deep calls into deep, you can feel like you're in over your head. Um, but but we call to one who's already been through that. And of course, that means we call out to Jesus Christ. So that's that's all it means. It's a poetic way of simply saying, uh, I, I'm I'm in this morass. I'm in. I'm filled with this pain. Uh, and what we've got to do is we've got to call to one who's been in that pain with us, somebody who can really understand. At Psalm forty-two, verse seven. 
Uh, deep calls into deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. And, and it, it's just a, 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 a psalm that expresses a sort of something like, like you're going through now. You know, just you feel like you can't take any more and it's there. But in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that depth, there's, there's someone who's been even deeper. And that person, of course, is Jesus Christ. So he gets you. He understands it, Reuben. Sorry for your loss. Good to hear from you. Let's go to Cindy on line two. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I, um, I kind of found it really interesting in Leviticus on Wednesday night when it says that uh, the offering is to be put on the altar and that the fire on the altar is to never go out and how we correlate that into the fire in our heart for Jesus. But also kind of, see, I'm on this fire kick now ever ever since when. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, in Acts uh, chapter 2, it says they they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down on each of them, and that you know was the the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then it started to make me think about that God is a consuming fire, mm-hmm. and then it made me think about the fact that the earth will be destroyed, and the heavens will be destroyed by fire. So, if you could kind of chat about all the different things about fire, I'd, I'd be very interested. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. God bless. Cindy, I think it's the only person in the world actually enjoying the Leviticus studies. Thank you, Cindy. A couple of things, Cindy. You know, the, the, the fire on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that was, that was uh, what I like to call the Holy Spirit's grand entrance into the world. You know, he, he came in the world before visibly in the form of a dove lighting on Jesus. And, and of course, Jesus, who was given the Spirit without measure, um, was uh, w- was was then led by the Spirit for the rest of his years walking on this earth. But when the church was born, a fire is a symbol of holiness. God is a consuming fire indeed. It's a picture of holiness. And it was the fire of the Holy Spirit that that cleansed the, the, the hearts of the sinners. You know, the people uh, that were in the upper room um, uh, when they were speaking in unknown tongues and prophesying, um, it was it was just the Holy Spirit's grand entrance. It will never be repeated again. Uh, you know, when when we talk about churches that everybody speaks in tongues at once, they say, "Well, that's what happened in the Book of Acts." Well, but they don't have the fire, and they don't have the sound of the mighty rushing wind. This was just the Holy Spirit making his grand entrance into the world, and he surely knows how to make an entrance. But he was coming to, 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 to purify. That's what fire does. It purifies the sinner so that he or she no longer is a sinner. Now, we sin, but our sins have been forgiven. And that was just that moment when, when he made his grand entrance in the world. Fire... Um, you know, is is uh, is is uh, this, as I said, a picture of holiness, and that's what you'll see it, um, except on a rare occasion when it's also a symbol of judgment. And I think on the altar, it was a symbol of both. Um, you know, to keep the fire burning, that fire needs to be burning. And those of us who are believers, we need to be on fire. Paul said, uh, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
and um, you know we're to keep the fire burning in our hearts. God has cleansed us; He's purified us, and our response, our 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 response of gratitude, is to keep stoking that fire over and over and over. And Cindy, it always causes me a lot of sadness when I see Christians who've lost that passion. You know, we live in a world and the world has bad things that happen and, you know, we go through trials and we go through all kinds of difficulties. But but it's always been that way from the very beginning. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul would have lost his fire or his passion because his life was more difficult than anything that any of us would ever live? But we've got to work hard to keep that fire burning, the Holy Spirit will keep fanning into flame that even if it's down to an ember, Jesus will blow on that ember. All we have to do is tend our own internal fires. And when we do that, um, the Lord can use us. But when we become complacent or when our hearts grow a little bit cold or we grow uh, used to the things of God, I know that sounds horrible, and it is, but so often we we start to take for granted what God has done for us. You know, we've let that fire go out. Now, God will fan it back into life, but we've got to confess our sins and ask God to fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit, and then that will happen. Cindy, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Here's a question from Teresa: My Christian daughter wants to marry a Catholic. Can you help? Well, I can't help because she's made the decision. Um, but Teresa, as a, I'm assuming you're a Christian mom, obviously, um, you've got to stand firm. First um, Corinthians chapter six: Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And uh, a born again Christian has no business with somebody who is religious but not born again. Christians ought to marry other Christians. Period. And I can tell you, Teresa, and this is um, what you can re- re- relay to your your daughter: um, there will be a lot of pain. How are you going to raise the kids? Are you going to raise them in the truth of Jesus Christ? Or are you going to raise them according to the false traditions of the Catholic Church? And I know people say, but, well, he's a Christian. If he's not born again, Teresa, he's not a Christian. So that's the question to ask him. And I think it is perfectly acceptable. In fact, I think it is uh, an obligation for the parents of, the, in this case, your Christian daughter, to sit down and talk to that man and say, are you born again? Tell me about your born again experience. And if it's like most Catholics, he's going to say, well, well, I was baptized as an infant and, you know, I've always belonged to the church. None of that saves anybody. The only thing that saves someone is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if your daughter wants to marry this man, there's going to be a lot of pain. So pray, 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 pray without ceasing. Um, That's what a mother would do when her daughter's in a difficult situation. Well, here's a related question from Edgar. He says, why does Paul make such a big deal out of being unequally yoked? Because it is a big deal, Edgar. I want you to think about something for a moment. If you're going to marry somebody, 
and you're going to be in heaven, but he's not, or you're going to be in heaven, but she's not, why in the world would we want to enter a relationship with somebody that's not going to be in heaven with us forever and ever? Why would we want to do that? If you're unequally yoked, you've got two different directions that you're being pulled in. Um, Who's going to be the leader? It's supposed to be the man that's the leader of the household, but if that man's not a born-again Christian, he can't lead anyone. So it's a big deal. That's why he makes a big deal out of it, Edgar. And I know in the world that we live in, people don't think that much of it, but I can tell you something. It is really... um, I want to be careful how I say this. Uh, it, it is it is Christians who have a hard time with really being committed to Jesus Christ who fall into this trap. And I can tell you as a pastor, Edgar, that most of the pain, maybe it's more accurate to say the worst pain that I've dealt with is a result of people making a bad decision to marry somebody who's not a born-again Christian. So it is a very, very big deal, and that's why the Apostle Paul makes a big deal out of it. I only wish, Edgar, that we who are Christians would actually believe what the Bible says. Here's a question that I'll get some heat for from Harry. How can Christians show God's love to LGBTQ plus people? Um, Harry, we can show them love by telling them the truth. We've got to tell them the truth. You can't live the way you're living and go to heaven. You got to choose having sex the way you want to have sex or going to heaven. You can't have both. And and you know when typically when people ask the question like you've asked it here it's like but 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 we we need to tell them that God loves them. Well they they should know that. They're told that all the time. But God loves them so much that he won't let them continue in that lifestyle. And we have to stop worrying about offending them. Our hearts certainly aren't to offend anybody. But we've got to care enough, Harry, to tell them the truth in love. Uh, If we don't do that, then we're not showing love to them at all. And when we do that, we're going to be judged. We're going to be misunderstood. People are going to call us names. uh, But that's okay. We've got to be tough enough to deal with all of that. So that's how you show them God's love. You share the gospel with them, and you answer their questions straightforwardly. And if, if, if their question is, can I continue in a homosexual lifestyle and go to heaven, the answer is no, you can't. God loves you. He will be more than enough for you. But to meet him, you've got to come to him on his terms. One other thing, Harry, I sort of reject the idea that is pushed down our throats as Christians is you got to accept people the way they are in order to show love to them. I don't think it's showing love to anybody, allowing them to go to hell without at least giving them the tools to fight with. So, Harry, I hope that helps. Um, Eddie says, um, Pastor Ron, what advice can I give to someone addicted to marijuana um, now that says he is a Christian. Um, I've said it several times during this radio program already. Eddie, if you meet Jesus, you got to change. Um, 
It's real simple. If he really has met Jesus, he's going to want to give up marijuana. It's a sin. It's that simple. And if it's a sin uh, that, that he's unwilling to deal with, then I would suggest that he hasn't really met Jesus at all. So if he says, I'm a Christian, say, well, how can I tell you're a Christian if you're under the control of marijuana? You can't be someone with two masters. Do you love Jesus? You got to put away the marijuana. And if you don't love Jesus, do what you want to do. But but we can't let people pretend they're okay. And alcohol, drugs, um, that's behavior that is incompatible with the Christian. Now, let me say, I know there are people who are weak and they really battle these things. But this is a man, the one that you're asking about, Eddie, or man or woman, you didn't say which, um, that somebody's not battling at all. Well, I'm addicted to it and... God understands that's that's simply not true. So you're going to find out if they're really a Christian by the choice they make. And just tell them the truth in love. And then let the Holy Spirit take over. The Holy Spirit will convict them if they're really a Christian. If they're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit will whisper in their ear, God loves you. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I will fulfill your hopes and dreams. Marijuana is not going to do it. This will be my last question today. Jesse, um, good question, by the way. Why can't new books be added to the Bible? Don't you think some modern perspective ought to be given uh, to the Bible? Um, you know, Jesus said, Jesse, I, you're my friends, um, and, and you're my friends. I tell you everything. Um, the, the, the canon of scripture is closed um, since God is the great I am he lives outside of time and space uh, we don't need a new perspective God is very current very present very active um, and God's done writing his book so that's why new books can't be added you know we write books from man's perspective imagine the Bible is perfect it's pure it's holy and you add a little bit of impurity to it, even well-meaning impurity, and suddenly it's less pure than it started out to be. You know, we wouldn't drink a, a, a Coke that, that, that we knew somebody poured just a little tiny bit of arsenic in. We wouldn't do that because we know it's poison. Well, false teaching is also poison. The, 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 the faith once for all delivered to the saints has already been delivered. In the book of Revelation, it says anybody who adds or subtracts words from this, well, then the curses, the judgments that were written about in that book will be on him or on her. So we're going to be really, really careful. And, Jesse, the truth is you can't add anything imperfect to that which is already perfect. I think God's pretty well got things under control. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary, the Word to Stand On.